This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Returning to a dark and familiar universe, Tilly is finally a captain just like she predicted. And farewell, Dr. Culber. Maybe. The break is over and Chapter 2 kicked off with an incredible bang. The Mirror Universe is back and just as brutal as ever. In addition, we are back and we have lots to talk about. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome back, everyone, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It's been far too long since we got to sit here and talk about the newest Star Trek saga. And now that the mid-season break is over and Episode 10 has come along and just blown us completely away, we're going to sit down and talk about it with a lot of special people. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Despite Yourself, and we have tons of stuff to talk about. There's been a lot of speculation since the mid-season cliffhanger as to where the crew is and what's going to come next, so let's get right into it, shall we? And, uh, you know, who better to assist me with deep diving into all things Discovery than my good pal and co-host, You know, as we commute to work every day, we've been debating for weeks about what's going to happen starting with episode 10, and I am pretty sure he was wrong on everything he has told me so far. But he is my special friend, he's my brother in Trek, and he is my amazing number one. Bill Smith, welcome back to the program, my friend. Thank you, buddy. And I will admit that I have been wrong on every single prediction I've made on Discovering Trek this season. I am Ofer, and I am proud of it. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think I'm right there with you. So uh, bat and zero is not always a bad thing. Right, Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm i excited to talk about tonight. I've been sitting in this chair for two straight months, Dan, and uh, I'm glad Star Trek finally came on so that I can have the impetus to uh, actually get out of the chair now, which I'm sure you'll be happy about <laughs> in our commutes to work together. Absolutely. I absolutely will. So uh, yes, tonight we have um, we have a lot to talk about, and I think we've got some really special guests that are going to join us for the show, don't we? Absolutely, Dan. We're incredibly excited to welcome two special guests this week to break down episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery. You may have seen our first guest at Star Trek Las Vegas in the Women of Star Trek panels. She's also the founder of Shoes and Starships, and you can also read her coverage of the X-Files on themarysue.com. She's Amy Imhoff, and Amy, welcome to Discovering Trek. We're excited you're here. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And also joining us this week, Dan, is a longtime friend of Trek Geeks and someone who is no stranger to Star Trek podcasts by any means. A fixture of Sunday mornings for many years, she is now talking Discovery with us tonight. You may have heard her on episode 101 of Trek Geeks talking about Will Riker with us. And tonight, Terry Lynn joins us to discuss the Frakes directed Despite Yourself. Terry, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you in this discussion tonight. Oh, thanks, gentlemen. That's good to, to be here. And thank you for asking. 
Well, it's it's truly an honor to have both of you joining us. And from things that I've been reading online since last evening, uh, I kind of have a feeling that our discussion will have a lot of differing opinions, which always makes the discussion fun. Uh, like I said, we've got gigaquads of stuff to talk about. But before we do that, Bill, how might listeners contact us to express their opinions on the kickoff episode of Chapter 2? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Dan, we're transmitting friendship messages in all languages and all frequencies and now in all universes. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek and on Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. Here you can join in on the discussion and even leave us some comments, questions, suggestions, or maybe you want to give us the coordinates to jump back home. That would be good. Don't forget, you can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, sir. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Despite Yourself. When last we left the USS Discovery, she had jumped to, well, somewhere. Saru doesn't really know where there is yet. Captain Lorca calls yellow alert while they get their bearings, figuratively and literally. Looking out the window, there's a lot of debris, but there doesn't seem to have been any battles. Saru reports that their location is relative to the galactic center, and that's accurate. But everything else is just kind of off. A Vulcan cruiser approaches, the Discovery hails them, and the Vulcans power up their weapons. Discovery raises the shields and goes to red alert just as the Vulcans open fire... I'm sorry, what? The Cooper, a ship that Lorca knows is supposed to be in dry dock undergoing a refit, comes to Discovery's aid. They hail the Discovery and claim the Vulcans are rebels. Vulcan rebels. This is really weird. To make matters worse, Discovery can't jump anywhere because Stamets is non-responsive after the last jump. Saru reports that both the Vulcan ship and the Cooper have quantum signatures different from the Discovery's, and Lorca realizes... They are in a universe that is not their own. Lorca tells Burnham and Saru about his belief that the mycelial network could connect to parallel universes. The problem is, if they are truly in an alternate universe, there's no way they can get the decloaking algorithm back to Starfleet to defeat the Klingons and stop the war. Stamets is in a near catatonic state, and his eyes have opaqued with a milky white film. He keeps mumbling about some kind of palace. He shoves Culber away literally, Tilly apologizes to Culber for not telling him about the side effects that Stamets was experiencing. Culber understands and lays the blame squarely at the feet of Lorca, whose ears must have really been burning because he then shows up in sickbay. Lorca accepts the blame in a very official captain-like way, but he's also decided to hand Stamets' case over to a different doctor, and he's citing Culber's lack of objectivity due to his relationship with the lieutenant. Culber protests and criticizes Lorca, but Lorca stands by his orders. Lieutenant Tyler takes a worker bee out to explore the wreckage that surrounds the Discovery, wreckage that appears Klingon, 
but there are also Vulcan and Andorian bodies in the wreckage. Burnham says there's a computer core that they hope will give them some insight into this universe. Tyler begins to have flashbacks. Lorca notices that he's having trouble maintaining a steady course. Burnham attempts to cover for him, giving him the time he needs to recover so that he can retrieve the data core and get back to the discovery. Tyler gets back and goes to the brig to see Laurel, and he tells her that she can't hurt him anymore. She wonders why she thinks that he'd she'd want to hurt him. He demands to know what she did to him, and Laurel says they did it together. She tells Tyler that she will tell him all about the surgeries if he just opens the cell. And he does. She moves closer to him. He wraps his hands around her neck to choke her, and she begins speaking to him in Klingon. And what's worse, Tyler responds in Klingon. She leads him through a prayer to Kales. She wants him to say his other name, and Tyler has no idea what she's talking about. Laurel realizes that something is very wrong. The prayer is supposed to give her some kind of direct line to whomever Ash Tyler really is, and it's not working out so well. He shoves her back in the cell and turns the force field back on. Burnham then finds Tyler in the mess hall. She asks him about what happened in the worker bee. He tells her about the flashbacks, and she tells him that he has to tell the captain. He flat out refuses, saying he'd he'd be quarantined until they get back to their own universe. He asks her to trust him, and she agrees. Burnham is then summoned to engineering, and Tyler momentarily blacks out. And when he comes back, he finds he's crushed a glass in his hands, and they're bleeding everywhere. Tilly and Burnham try to piece together what they know by accessing the data core that Tyler retrieved. They are in a universe controlled by what's known as the Terran Empire, a largely xenophobic military empire ruled by an emperor that no one sees. The Klingons, Vulcans, Andorians, and all other life are apparently allied in a rebellion against the Terrans. Hello, mirror universe. The Cooper approaches again. Saru concludes that the Discovery has swapped places with the Discovery that is native to this universe. They prepare to make contact with the Cooper, but Burnham informs Lorca that he's not the captain of this Discovery. Tilly is. What? Tilly? Tilly responds to the Cooper as best she can and keeps the situation from escalating. One thing is apparent. They have to prepare for the next contact. The crew goes about studying every detail of the Terran Empire and begins to transform the ship to fit into this universe as best they can. Uniforms, registry numbers, you name it, it's all changing. Burnham reports to Lorca about what their Terran Empire counterparts are like. Burnham is presumed dead and Lorca is reported to have killed her. Both were highly decorated. Burnham was the captain of the Shenzhou and Lorca was the captain of the Baran. He attempted a coup, and Burnham was sent to stop him by the Emperor. Lorca killed her, and then the Emperor decided to destroy his ship in retaliation. The rest of the data and information appears to have gone missing. Lorca still thinks there may be a way to get back to their universe, though, and he might be able to do it without a spore drive. Lorca has discovered that a different ship from their universe went missing and wound up in this same place, the USS Defiant. If they can get information on the Defiant, they could possibly use it to get home. Burnham will pose as her mirror universe self, claiming to have used her death as a cover to pursue Lorca, and Lorca will be her prisoner, also having survived their encounter. All they have to do now 
is get to the Shenzhou. Tyler practically begs Culber to examine him and find out if the Klingons did anything to him. Culber says that Tyler was examined when he came aboard and nothing was found, even in the Manchurian test. Tyler dodges questions about what he's experiencing and ultimately uses the mission to get out of the conversation. Stamets begins screaming to say, stay out of the palace. Culber comforts him and kisses him. Stamets is momentarily lucid with clear eyes and warns Culber to be careful because the enemy is here. Burnham prepares Tilly for her transformation to Captain Tilly. Burnham tells her that the Terran's strength is actually a facade of necessity because they live in constant fear. The Discovery sends a transmission to the Shenzhou, which is under the command of Captain... Connor? Huh. Who saw that coming? Tilly tells Connor that they found Burnham and Lorca in a shuttle. Burnham says she wants her ship back, and Connor eventually agrees to bring the Shenzhou to the Discovery after some... convincing. Culber and Tyler chat in sickbay. Culber tells him he's found masses of scar tissue around all of Tyler's bones. The computer initially deduced that it was scars from the torture that Tyler suffered, but now he believes it's something else. He also believes that there may be a second personality in Tyler, layered on top of whomever Tyler is. He believes the Klingons transformed Tyler physically and mentally. Culber's not sure why or how, but he does know that Tyler isn't who he thinks he is. This triggers something in Tyler who hears Klingon in his head and then instantly snaps Culber's neck without a second thought, leaving him for dead in the corner of sickbay. The Shenzhou warps to Discovery's location. Lorca, Burnham, and Tyler beam over. They're met by Connor and his men in the transporter room. They salute each other. Long live the Empire and all that. Connor tries to take Lorca, but Burnham insists on seeing Lorca personally. Lorca is brought to the agony booths Burnham emphasizes that Lorca is not to be killed or else the entire crew of the Shenzhou will be punished. In the turbo lift, Connor tells Burnham that he almost didn't make captain, but the Emperor saw something in him. He also says that the Shenzhou's crew didn't respect him the way they respect her. He needs a way to make them fear him. So he does the smart thing and attacks Burnham and gets into a fight. Yeah. Burnham then stabs Connor, who falls to the floor when the turbo lift doors open, causing the bridge crew to do a 80s-style slow clap. Burnham makes her way to the captain's chair, and she orders Connor's body disposed of, and the Shenzhou warps away. Burnham goes to her quarters and is surprised by Tyler, who was there waiting for. She hasn't been able to get the files they need yet, and Tyler swears that, no matter what, he's going to protect her, and their bond seems to grow further. Meanwhile, Lorca spends some quality time in the agony booth, and it looks like he's getting the full duration, and then some. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to start off with a Starfleet briefing, a very quick uh, yay or nay, thumbs up or thumbs down for this episode, Despite Yourself, directed by Mr. Jonathan Frakes. And Terry, I'm going to start with you. I'd like to get your very high level <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down, because I know that everybody wants to hear what you have to say about this. Thumbs down, <laughs> thumbs down. Yeah, um, we'll talk in depth, but my initial impact was, oh, I, I am not happy. Okay. We will see what those um, developments are later on in the show. Amy, uh, as our guest also, why don't you give us your thumbs up, thumbs down, and high-level why on last night's episode? 
I would have to give this one a thumbs up. I thought that Frakes did a really good job getting a great performance out of everybody. I only didn't like one aspect of the show, which we'll talk about soon. But on the whole, I think the Discovery crew made the transition into the Mirror Universe uh, very enjoyable. It was dark, but that's Discovery. That's true. And it's the Mirror Universe, which is also very dark. Uh, As for me, anybody who listens to Trek Geeks knows what a huge Mirror Universe fan I am. I give this episode a huge, huge thumbs up. To me, it's the best episode of the series so far by a landslide. Uh, Mirror Universe is my wheelhouse. I know every little detail about all the Mirror Universe storylines from all the TV shows to the novels. And I got to say, I think that the folks in the writer's room just killed it with this episode. Bill? Well, you know, I, I don't have the, the exuberance that you do over this, Dan. And I, I'm kind of falling somewhere in the middle. I don't want to take anything away from this episode because I think the concept itself was executed well. But for me personally, I, I think it's a mistake to introduce the Mirror Universe in the first season of Discovery. Partly because I think we're still getting to know these characters and who they are. I mean, if they'd done this in season two or three, I, I think I wouldn't have cared nearly as much. But you know, that said, I do have to say that I think Sean Cochran wrote one hell of an episode. And well, honestly, Frakes. Um, I, I think Jonathan Frakes was a fantastic choice to direct this particular episode. I just, I guess I wish it just wasn't happening right now, if that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. I guess um, it's interesting to see. I think this is the first time that we've had a panel which has a an exuberant thumbs up, an exuberant thumbs down, and two <laughs> in between kind of thumbs up. I know that Amy gave thumbs up. So, Bill, was it a thumbs up for you or was it a kind of thumbs down? I don't know if you gave your – your choice there. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth. I, I have to say I'm kind of in the middle. I don't think I can thumbs up it or thumbs down it. And I realize that is such a, such a cop out on mm. some level. Um, but I, Bill, you got to commit, you got to commit and we all committed. All right. I'm going to commit. I'm going to say it's, it's the, the tiniest of thumbs ups. Thumbs ups. Um, okay. Yeah, thumbs ups. That, that's a technical <laughs> term we use here in the podcast world. I like that. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna give you a lot of grief for you know being on the fence, but the little thumbs ups I think is very good. So awesome. If you ask me an hour from now, I could be slightly thumbs down. But right now, as we record this, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the tiniest of thumbs up. All right. Well, you know there are a lot of reasons why all of us have differing opinions on what happened last night. So let's let's deep let's dive right into these these topics. The first thing I want to talk about uh, with everyone is, of course, the return to the dark universe. Uh, we've seen it uh, from the original series through Deep Space Nine, a little bit of Enterprise, and now right away, as Bill just mentioned in season one of Discovery, I'm thrilled. I love the fact that it is the mirror universe that we know and love or hate. Um, But there was a lot of speculation during the uh, mid-season break that it might be a different alternate universe. I, for one, am thrilled. Uh, Amy, what are your thoughts on the return to the mirror universe? Would you like to have seen it that it was more they come to our universe or we're in their universe like we're seeing with uh, last night's episode? I think a lot of this dovetails with my opinion of what has been going on for this entire season. I have thought since about the third episode that Lorca is from the Mirror Universe. The Lorca that we know is from the Mirror Universe. Um, And this episode did not do anything to dispel that because he had been on the run, quote unquote, from from, uh, wherever he had been previously. So I think that 
he is, I mean, plus they showed an, an image of him looking in the mirror, like the window of the, um, of the discovery. And it was a very like ominous musical cue as well. So I think that he is mirror Lorca and he's been with us the whole time. Not to mention that he seemed real comfortable real quick. <laughs> so I think that for me, it, it makes sense. It doesn't bother me that they're going there so soon, especially because they told us that, you know, I, I read all the press. I read all the interviews. I've interviewed Brian Fuller. I think that he really was excited about getting into the mirror universe. Had he stayed with the show? And I know to some extent they're still using a little bit of his show Bible. So okay, it's my, I think, I definitely think that it's, it's, I, I know you were upset about, um, you said you didn't like that. It was the first season or the 10th episode having visited, but I think it's kind of an integral plot point to the way that they're playing the game this season. Sure. I like your I like your take on Lorca. I think we're going to get into that a little bit uh, in a few minutes. But anybody who can bash his face against the turbo lift door just so that he looks like he's been beaten up, <laughs> he's got to be some tough cookie from the mirror universe. But uh, Terry, yeah. we know that you gave it a thumbs down. Uh, <laughs> is it for specific reasons or what are your thoughts on the return to the mirror universe? Oh, I hate the mirror universe with a passion. Oh, boy. Uh, I know. I'm sorry, Dan. I really am. Um, I have to say my initial disappointment is the fact that they did bring it into the mirror universe. The reason why is because I find the mirror universe highly implausible and just a, a, a writer's trick in order for them to write serious plots for characters that they felt maybe they couldn't write serious for to begin with. I'm disappointed because at least in Discovery, they weren't bound by those previous uh, shackles, so to speak. Uh, they had the opportunity of writing some really amazing drum dramatic characters without having to resort to going to the mirror universe. So for them to do so right off the bat, on top of all of the stuff I feel that they've been telegraphing since the first episode, I'm actually kind of afraid that the whole show will be nothing but mirror and alternate universes. You mean the for the show. entire run of the series? Yes, I am absolutely convinced now that they might become the Gilligan's Island and that they will never find their way home and that they will just spend the rest of the next season popping into a different universe so they can try on different costumes. <laughs> I did like I the costumes, you. though. I liked the costumes. <laughs> and, uh, and there's some specific reasons why I believe that the Mirror Universe that they ended up in last night is not the one that Lorca was aiming for. Oh, you thought you think he was aiming for a mirror universe? I do. I think I, I'm with you. There's no doubt in my mind that Lorca comes from a different universe. I think that he was far, like you said, there the, the writers, there's one thing they don't do, and that's they don't hold back on the foreshadowing. Um, we know exactly what's going to happen. We all knew that you know, we'll get into some other plot points, but the foreshadowing that they've been doing has been kind of brutal with how they've been beating us over the head with it. And last night it was just a culmination of everything that we had been suspecting since the first episode. And I think you're right. I think Lorca is from a different universe. Um, I happen to think that he was aiming uh, Stamets into a particular direction. I don't know if he hit his target, however, and that there are some, visual cues that came up during the show that made me think about it uh, and to whether or not they did. And I think he was, 
I think he was aiming him for something. I thought he was maybe just aiming him to help him get back. Yeah, I don't think um, so. <laughs> but but before that, but before that, um, Stamets seemed to be going in that direction on his own because he referred to Kit Tilly as a captain. He said, "Captain, what are you doing That's down true. here?" And she was like, I thought he was seeing the future. I didn't realize he was seeing see, the See, I see him right now as seeing all universes at all mm-hmm. times. Right. Yes. So, right. Yeah. No, um, I agree. Well, Bill, uh, I want to get your thoughts on the entrance into the mirror universe. I'm really down in the doldrums now because we listened to Terry's explanation of what she thinks of the mirror universe. So can you cheer me up a little bit? <laughs> Uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, I'm kind of with Terry on this one. You know, back in the early days of the Trek Geeks podcast, we had the the great good fortune to interview Andrew J. Robinson, who so masterfully played Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And we talked about the Mirror Universe, and he said, eh, you know what? The Mirror Universe things weren't my favorite because really it was just – it was sadistic for the, the, the sake of being sadistic. There was no there there. To paraphrase, and and that's kind of how I feel about the mirror universe as they've employed it here. I thought it was more effectively employed with Enterprise because it wasn't we go there or they come here. It was a standalone story that took place in that universe with a tie to ours being the defiant. So I, I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to help you on this one, buddy. But I, I do have to agree that. Um, and I, I said this uh, a couple of episodes ago. I, I think that Lorca is from a universe, just not these, either of these two universes that we've been dealing with. Okay, whatever. We're going to go with the next topic now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I do like the I do like differences <laughs> of opinion in in the return of the mirror universe. I also like what both have both of you have said in regards to this Lorca in another from another universe. So we're going to get into that in a second. I want to talk about something that I really enjoyed. Uh, last night, and that is Mary Wiseman's performance as Tilly. This actress has completely um, blown me away week after week. She lights up every scene that she is in, and I was thrilled uh, to see that uh, well, thrilled and and kind of scared to see that transformation that we saw when she needed to become Captain Tilly of the Mirror Universe. Amy, let's start with you. Did you like Tilly? Did you not like what they were doing with her? I I love <laughs> Tilly. I love her to begin with. I loved her just when I saw her because I am a tall lady and I am curvy and I have curly mm-hmm. hair. <laughs> and it is nice to be able to see yourself reflected in a Star Trek character. Um, but I just liked her because she was, you know, I worried she might be annoying at first because obviously she said she does talk a lot. And the fact that she knows that and the fact that the characters are all kind of trying to help you more, helping her be more professional is kind of enjoyable as well because I feel like if all of us were out there we would be like holy (laughs) (laughs) so she is kind of the audience like connection right she's the kind of our stand-in right but last night she elevated her performance yeah for sure she would just took it to the next level by being able to kind of assimilate the information she needed to and then just immediately step onto that bridge and be a different person and it was really cool Bill, I think um, you at first were a little nervous about the character of Tilly when um, when we heard about it and she was a cadet. Um, I believe that you have liked her so far. What did you think about what happened last night? Uh, I've adored Tilly ever since you know th- this character has started this journey. And I thought that last night, uh, 
Well, honestly, it was the only time I actually spit liquid out of my mouth <laughs> at the Hold Your Horses line. I did a total spit take. I thought it was hilarious. It was a great way to to dial down the the tension in that scene. And Mary just played it perfectly. Um, this is a character that I, I, I didn't think was going to add a lot to this show a year ago when we first heard about her. And uh, I, am, I could not be happier to eat crow in this one. Uh, Tilly is an integral part of this show, and I don't think it's the same without her. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Uh, Terry, what are your thoughts on Tilly from last night? We got some good stuff. You're going to hear some positive <laughs> things out of this woman's mouth. So uh, take take it down while you can. Uh, I'm actually, I was actually so taken with Mary Wiseman's performance last night um, that I had to write something down. So I actually am going to read what I wrote. And that is uh, Tilly reveals true courage. We always see through her veneer of fear, but somehow she always jumps in with both feet, not to not in spite of her fear, but to spite it directly. Maybe that's she may be the most realistic and inspiring character in the show. Um, and and I think that is because she has true character and I don't really want to call them flaws as I want to call them idiosyncrasies that you get to view and and as some somebody from the outside looking in on Tilly's character you can absolutely connect with how she feels with what she's going through and how terrified she must have been to put on that uniform of the of a, a truly horrific person um, that must have been a horrible thing to, to go through and you felt that with her last night Absolutely. Uh, every week with with Tilly and with Mary Wiseman, I am just blown away. Uh, I'm glad we are all in agreement in in her performance last night. I have a lot to say about her for later on in the show when we talk about some other topics. But uh, yeah, she was she was a breath of fresh air in a dark episode uh, and episodes that had a lot of of scary moments. And one of those scary moments was the whole Tyler Volk. Uh, storyline. Uh, I think I've talked about on the show in the past that I'm not a big fan of the, um, at the time, rumors of, oh my gosh, Tyler Ash is actually going to be Volk. I didn't really think it made much sense. Well, I think we can all say, based on what we saw last night, that that's pretty much what's happening. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of the idea, but we'll see how it plays out. But uh, Bill, let's start with you uh, and what you thought about what happened with the whole um, revelation last night. You know, I have to say that uh, for as much as I enjoy and truly like Star Trek Discovery, this show has had some of the worst kept plot secrets in the history of television. <laughs> uh, they are terrible. Yeah, first with <laughs> the Mirror Universe, and now with the apparent Vogue is Tyler, Tyler is Vogue thing. You know, I'm not really jazzed that this theory is apparently true for, from what we can deduce right now. I mean, I'm going to assume that he is Vogue um, until it actually is confirmed on the screen, but mm. I... I think that they're at least trying to find reveals that are still interesting on some level. I thought that that scene between he and Laurel and the brig was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that both Mary Chifo and, and Shazad Latif really brought their a game in that scene. And it, I think it was the, for me, the standout scene of the episode, but uh, I, um, I, it's not the end result I wanted, but I I'm at least glad that it, it's, it's still interesting in the telling, if that makes sense. It does. And I have to wonder, you know, you said it, it's the worst kept secret. You got to wonder if they're setting it up like that on purpose so that it'll be something different than what we expect. 
I think that in the age of social media, it's hard to keep secrets. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, especially in, especially, uh, having just gone through that with, you know, having like when we watched Voyager and enterprise, people were not tweeting, they weren't Instagramming, they were, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to be able to see stuff like casting call sheets and photos from the set. And the same thing happened when X-Files aired and now it's airing again, like X-Files in the age of social media and Star Trek in the age of social media is a whole different thing. Right, and you can have fans, and you know some some PA accidentally tweets something, and then all the fans suddenly find it, right? And then they get in trouble or they get fired. But I think Va- the whole the, the whole thing with Vok was hilarious because they didn't they didn't list a real actor as playing him on IMDb. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say they totally didn't even try. And we didn't even have the, that level of IMDb when we were watching Star Trek last time, so. We could, they could have listed anybody's name and we would have been like, okay. <laughs> sometimes the, the leaps in technology that we have can sometimes be a hindrance. Um, Terry, uh, you know, the, the whole scene with, um, we'll get to Culber in a second. So don't, don't go into that yet, but oh, the I whole, just, the whole scene with Culber talking about how bones were shortened and his spinal column was, was shortened. That was Ooh. kind of, that was kind of eerie to me and that the, the Klingons would go through all of this. I mean, Laurel mentioned it to Volk when uh, uh, a few episodes back when, uh, when they were escaping uh, the sarcophagus ship that he was going to have to give up everything. And it sure seems like this is what's happening. Do you agree that this is what's going on or do you have other, some other kind of idea of what might be happening? Okay. Well, let's see. Here's part of, part, part of my problem is, is that I grew up in and around medicine. Okay. Just giving you a little bit of background here. So I'm hypercritical of anything that has to deal with the medical field, Um, especially since my career also has followed that along. I'm actually a medical malpractice adjuster for the most part. So I have this big background and doctors are my thing, right? I love them or I hate them. Like I love McCoy. I hated Crusher. I loved Colbert. So set that aside. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm dealing with a patient who gets onto a ship who cuts himself and bleeds red. From what I could tell, I don't think it looked very purple, right? Right. Exactly. Um, Which means that not only did they shorten his bones, but they changed his DNA and his actual way changing his everything biology. They turned him into a human, which kind of just seems upside down backwards and completely implausible. Okay. So I'm kind of rolling my eyes at that. To me, when it comes to medicine, I am that techno jerk off the side going, there's no bent nacelles on the defiant. <laughs> so the, right? the, so the, the fact that it's science fiction doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter. It's like, no, do you understand? You might as well have just killed him mm-hmm. and brainwashed a real human it would take less time and less effort (laughs) really so i just kind of had to roll my eyes with that now we've got culver decidingly he can figure out oh gee our wonderful medical technology can figure out that boy man you were really messed up you were messed up so much that i think you might not be who you think you are and of course that triggers some what we can't even tell whether or not that is a subconscious anymore because by this point in the story he has already dealt with and has confronted uh Laurel. So I I my biggest problem with the whole Laurel 
issue or the whole Laurel Volk thing is that the the writers had to jump through some serious plot hurdles to get her onto that ship. Oh, it's just as easy as jumping Uh-oh. into a transporter beam. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, Terry. In, in all honesty, I say this tongue in cheek, but I also mean it. You sound like my dad because my dad uh, was a pilot for 50 something years. <laughs> and anytime we're watching a television show and there's an airplane scene in it, he points out everything that's wrong about the cockpit or the engines wouldn't sound like that. So I, I was smiling the whole time that you were saying that. <laughs> it's just a nerd. I admit it. No, it's okay. I'm a medicine. all those lawyer shows, and my husband was in law school, and we were watching Boston Legal, and he was like, "They did not set a trial date for the next day. You set a trial date for four <laughs> right. years from now." <laughs> and and we all know that for the most part, everybody goes to those things by telephone anyway. So why are there people in the courtroom? I would like to know. I'm just. I'm it's just all kidding. about the drama. Uh, so Gotta yeah, make the drama. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I, that I forgive. Um, so there. So you have now set the table, okay. Mr. Dan. Let's um, let's now pull all of the uh, let's pull the tablecloth off the table and see if anything stays because this is going to be the topic that I think everybody's been waiting to jump on, and that is the death of Doctor Culber. Which I got to say, Terry, I'm going to give my comments and I'm going to go right to you. Um, I. I'm watching this for the first time at my sister's house um, this week. And when that happened, they have not been watching the show, but they were in the living room when I was watching. I shot up and just yelled out loud and then had my mouth covered by my hand for a good five minutes. I couldn't, I could not even function. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. So it was a shock. And we've talked about on this show, how, Discovery in today's age of television, it's a walking dead. It's a game of thrones. Nobody is safe. No matter what character, no matter what big name is the actor or actress, anybody could die at any moment. And we seemingly saw that last night. What went through your mind, Terry, at the time that, uh, that, that happened? And please do remember, this is a rated PG uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be very honest with all of you. And that was, I yelled, I got up, I started to cry, and I said, I quit. Oh, boy. Did you mm-hmm. then go back and watch the rest, or did you really not watch the, the rest of the episode? No, we, I, we, I watched the rest, mm-hmm. and my husband understood that, you know, sitting off to the side, I was, I'm, I'm, I still have a visceral, visceral reaction to, to what happened mm-hmm. in that. Uh, and, and for more than just, and I, I need to preface this now because while I am very, very angry and I understand from some of the subsequent things I've seen, not just on social media, but things that the, um, have come out from other interviews playing, going, please come back. Please don't really, you know, whether or not he's really dead to me is not the point. Um, I either he's not really dead and it was all just kind of a shower scene dream. I don't know. Or he is really dead and they're going to replace him with a mirror universe character. I mean, let's face it. We, this is my problem with the mirror universe. It is to me, it's a trope and it's a tired trope and it's too easy to just say, okay, we can hit the reset button. If we just go to the mirror universe, um, my other problem isn't just the death of one of television's first great out gay characters. <sighs> it is also 
one of Star Trek's first great, healthy, married character. Mm-hmm. Not to mention he's also a minority. Well, and, and somebody also brought up an interesting point about Voke, which was, oh, great, the, the one time you get somebody of what seemingly Arab, Arabic descent is the guy who ends up killing. Who ends up being you a know, sleeper becomes the terrorist agent. on the ship. A sleeper agent, yeah. right. It's like, oh, really? It's, it's, it's an unfortunate equation that they have drawn to the casting of their characters, and I'm disappointed in it wholeheartedly. Um, but I'm, you know, the one, I think you guys, we talked once probably a year or so ago on your other podcast about my, my beef with Star Trek writers not being able to write healthy married characters. Right. And I don't care if they're gay or straight or what. Mm. And they finally nailed it with these two and decided to just kind of. Well, deviating from, deviating it. from the straight white guy character has always been a challenge for Star Trek. I mean, Dr. Crusher is the only woman on all five Star Treks who is has a child. She's the only mother. Like, at all. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, um, O'Brien and Keiko, but Keiko is not a main character like Crusher. So. Sure. Well, Amy, since you, since you brought up a, a couple points here, what were your thoughts on what happened with, with Culber? Um, I, uh, just to, to, to jump in real quick, I'm not of the opinion that they would probably try to replace him with a mirror universe version of Culber. To me, uh, as, it, it just doesn't make sense that somebody from the mirror universe who's used to, you know, the Terrans are vicious. I don't know if they'd just be able to just he would just be able to lackadaisically come over to our side of the universe and just be regular old Dr. Culver with Stamets again. So I'm not sure if that would work. I totally see where you're coming from, Terry, but um, uh, Amy, what were your thoughts with, uh, with what happened? Just going on what you just said though, you know, we, we saw like after Trek mentioned that they were not going to go a mirror universe direction with Culver. So I think that, as I said, in the age of all this information flying around, we kind of have already had some of our theories debunked. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my opinion on the whole was that was my least favorite part of the episode. I was really upset. I didn't cry, but I yelled. My husband, who is not normally one to to exclaim too much at, at the television, whereas I talk to the television all the time, <laughs> he also was. Uh, he also, you know, I won't say what he said because he cursed. <laughs> he was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> yeah. And we couldn't believe that because it was very sudden. And you know, we're both we watched. The game we watch Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad, and he he watches The Walking Dead, and um, or he did for a while, and I see that that they're trying to be shocking like that, but I'm not really here for it because a it's obvious that that's what they're trying to do, and b all the characters that have died so far have been people of color, and up and then it's been two women, and now it's been um, a gay man, so. I'm really unhappy with the whole barrier gaze trope that they've kind of fallen into. Um, I don't think that he's going to remain dead. I think maybe Stamets will somehow save him. He'll go back and save him because he has that. I mean, Stamets basically has a superpower now, right? And why wouldn't right. he? Why yeah. wouldn't he use it to save the man he loves? I think. Mm-hmm. I think it would be, you know. Oh, he went to the ends of time and space to save the man he loved, and that would be nice. That would be something really gratifying to see, you know, because we know that characters that are famous pairs throughout television history would go to the ends of the earth to save their the people they loved. You know, like 
you know that episode of U Space Nine where they're on the planet and Worf and Dax are down on the planet together and he gives up on the mission so that he can save her life? Yes. I feel like that they have that kind of like Imzadi bond, you know. Yeah, and, gonna and, make and it's good to see. And it is good to see. So I think that, but yes, I was disappointed with him just reaching out and like snapping his neck. There's also like a medical thing where you can have a broken neck and not actually be dead yet. I don't know if they're going to go do that or what. So I hope so. <laughs> well, isn't this where they introduce was- the triple blood? Um Oh, wow. You, you're not the, no, no, no. He is not the only person who has, seriously, he is not the only person who has said that. <laughs> There's got to be something magical that happens. Yeah. Speaking of triple, I was yes. waiting for, I was waiting for Ash Tyler to walk into Lorca's office and he still hasn't done it. And the triple, oh, to see the triple freak out. And the triple hasn't like freaked out yet. And I'm like, damn you, triple. <laughs> but look who did. But look who did, yeah. right? Okay. Is um, um, oh my God, his name just went poof right on my Doug Jones character. Yeah, Saru. 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 Yep. So Saru now realizes gets the tinglys <laughs> when when Loke or Ash walks by. Wow. Is it is it well, Vok or Voke? It's according to Discovery, it's Voke. Vogue is the pronunciation. Okay, Vogue. I yeah. apologize. So, I mean, we could keep going on topics like this uh, just all night long. It's it's certainly great uh, discussion topics. But right now, it's time for uh, – we're just talking somber. But we're going to continue on the somber uh, tone for a moment because each week, we reserve this special time to reflect on those who we have lost in this week's episode of Star <laughs> Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least that we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. 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 Discovery is a Star Trek show where we will lose crew and characters. That much is certain, and it did not escape us last night. So, Bill, who can we say goodbye to this week, my friend? Well, Dan, as we were just discussing, we pour one out for a couple of people this week, not the least of which is Dr. Hugh Culber, or do we? Um, I think we're going to find out more about that in an upcoming episode. But for now, we're going to assume he's only mostly dead and (laughs) add him to the roll call. But also, we have to add Captain Danby Connor, the ISS Shenjo. I have to say, poor Sam Bartholomeos. This kid, <laughs> this kid shows up for two scenes per episode, and he gets killed both times. And Burnham is right there. Uh, I, I, I want to see more of Connor, but um, Burnham, cut it out. <laughs> hey, he started it. I know, wow. right? So that's uh, true. So Dan, that's who we enter into the red shirt roll call this week for now. Well, you know, there's no doubt that this week had the most shocking death so far in the series. Uh, It's also a shame, like you said, that Connor can't survive more than one episode in either universe. But still, we will raise a glass of Synthahol in their honor as we say goodbye, or do we, in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. Dan, this week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has an exclusive offer for all the Discovering Trek listeners. Just enter the discount code MIRROR 
That's M-I-R-R-O-R in all capital letters at checkout for 10% off your entire order with Fansets. This code will be available to use until Sunday, January 14th, 2018 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. That's awesome news. We recommend that everyone take advantage of this special offer and fill up your Fansets cart with some great pins from a whole bunch of different genres, not just Star Trek. Fansets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for this entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we always like to take a look at what this particular episode helps us discover about our own humanity, or perhaps, you know, even what it tells us about ourselves. So, Amy, you're going to be up to bat first. Um, uh, This was a tough episode. Uh, Did you have any specific things that uh, came to mind in regards to discovering our own humanity with Despite Yourself? I think so because of the way Burnham was talking about the mindset that the inner universe Terrans were in and how they had, she had to talk about how they were always, you know, trying to survive. They didn't have kind of like the luxuries that maybe, you know, that maybe Tilly grew up with and she grew up with as a, as a surrogate daughter of Sarek and, and, you know, the, the luxury of growing up in, in a peacetime rather than a wartime. So I mm-hmm. think that that was definitely something that could show us, how you know environment is a is a huge indicator in the way that um, the way we react to things and the way that you know the way Tilly became Captain Tilly Captain Killy versus the <laughs> sweet cadet that we know right right and I also I and I think that we're gonna see I saw the preview for next week and I saw that um we're keeping the whole like mirror universe people have a goatee thing going with Sarek. <laughs> so I also think that, you know, the Vulcans are, are against the Terrans in this, in this um, mirror universe. And I think that we'll also see the way Vulcan logic is different based on their environment too. So that's not, that's, that's not that's how we show us something is human, human, but it's something mm-hmm. is Vulcan. So. Yeah, I've always been uh, very um, confused at times with the mirror universe when it comes to the Vulcans, whether it's in Spock uh, when he becomes emperor. There's a great novel about Emperor Spock and then what we see what's going on in Enterprise. But I do like that point. I also like what you brought up about Tilly because it has a lot to do with what I uh, thought about the human, the, the humane part of the of the episode and of our show. You know, this week was tough for me. Uh, the mirror universe is humanity at its worst. So coming up with something for this topic wasn't very easy. Uh, but then it came to me, both Michael and Tilly were able to do something in this episode that explains my main point, but I'm going to concentrate just on Tilly specifically. You know, as we talked about just a little while ago, she's my favorite character on the show. She has such an incredible innocence about her, and she looks toward the future with wide-eyed, childlike hope and excitement, and it's it's just wonderful to see. It's beautiful. But then we enter this universe where humans are brutal, and they're treacherous, and unlike anything she has ever experienced, and she's terrified, and you can see that in her face and, and the way that she talks. 
She doesn't think she can pull off being this ruthless captain that her counterpart is in the mirror universe. And we see that trepidation when she's first called upon to play the captain. But hold your horses, because later on in the episode, when she transforms into this evil witch of a captain, she plays the part perfectly and maniacally. And maybe, just maybe, she fits that part a little too well. And for me, it shows what I've often talked about here in this segment. We as humans have a dark side that in a lot of cases is far too easy to bring to the surface to achieve a goal. And that scares me. Terry, what did you think about uh, the episode? Well, in asking me to take a look at an episode which brought such um, palpable feelings, um, not just about the episode, but on the series as a whole, um, was pretty hard, Mm -hmm. admittedly. Uh, And like you, uh, looking at things from that aspect and kind of looking at Tilly and and also my fear for the character of getting lost in the part. And that's where, again, also, too, to look at um, Michael at Burnham's uh, role as well. One thing that's kind of bothered me about her character from the day, the very first day, and I think you guys might think I'm a little crazy, but please hear me out. Um, Michael Burnham's character tends to bother me a lot because she seems to be too perfect. Um, Michael's character, while some people would see her actions on the Shinjo as being flawed, uh, they were not. Her active, her actions were actually based in and grounded in that logic. And for all of intent and purposes, she has never made a wrong decision. She's just paid a horrific price for her correct decisions. So her, I see her as being almost too perfect and to a point of being borderline Mary Sue, unlike Tilly, who we get to see with all of her insecurities. Both of these women jumped into their roles with a plum. So I look at this, And then they're surrounded by other people, with the exception of the recently deceased, um, who have just as much um, thin, thin, thin veil between them and insanity. And I found the message that we're getting to be very hopeless. And that is, once again, that Lord of the Flies. And that is, is humanity in and of itself inherently evil? And the answer I keep getting back is yes. Really? I don't feel that at all. That's so odd that you've come come off. And you're not the first person to tell me that you don't like Michael. I like Michael. I just think she's too perfect. I wish she would have been a little bit more like Tilly, to be honest with you, where she second guesses herself. I don't, and she never does. I don't think, I think Tilly a lot could. of that has to do. Go ahead, Amy. I don't think her background. I don't think her background lends it lends itself to being like Tilly, though. If that was where they wanted to go as Spock's, you know, adopted sister from the beginning, to give us that kind of like anchor to the original series and and right. anchor it with this, you know, with the story of Sarek and then what they need to do and what we may end up finding is that she has one thing in common with Voke, and that is she was brainwashed by another species. 
Interesting. Oh, wow, that's a good, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at that because what I was going to say is, is, is I, I, I totally see where you're coming from, Terry, because I've thought that too. She's like, oh my God, she can never be wrong. But she was also raised by Vulcans who, uh, I've talked about how Vulcans can seem so arrogant that they can never make a mistake. So I kind of think it's that upbringing. I've never looked at it in that light of, of brainwashed by another species, but it, it is a very, a very good point. Um, Bill, you always seem to have good things to say in this segment in regards to humanity. Is this week going to be uh, an exception to that, or you got some good stuff for us? Thanks for not putting any pressure on me whatsoever <laughs> as we come into this part of the show. Um, I, one of these weeks, I'm going to mail it in just to throw you off. Um, I think this this week we have a fairly exposition-heavy episode as we return from the break. And now we know we're getting at least two episodes in the Mirror Universe and maybe even more. I think that this crew is faced with the unenviable task of of passing themselves off as as an alt Starfleet. And that's something that's even more foreign to them necessarily than prosecuting a war against the Klingon Empire. You know, the Discovery crew has been kind of in the process of discovering their humanity on this trek. And, and now they have to figure out how not to lose that very quality. They risk being changed fundamentally, I think, and and that's the challenge. And I think that's what we take to heart ourselves, especially since I think now we live in a world where where many of us fear what seems like eventual outcomes to some degree. I mean, historically, we persevere in the most turbulent of times, but times like these try even the most stalwart of resistors. I suppose that in some sense, the old adage that, you know, pressure makes diamonds is true on some level, but to me, it seems like the most cautionary of tales. Here on Discovering Trek, Dan, we've, we've talked several times about, you know, not liking the reflection that looks back at us in the mirror. And I, I think this time it's, it's somewhat literal with regard to this journey to the mirror universe. And it maybe even employs a bit of cliche to that regard. I think that, that times like these, the ones that we're in now, and the ones that the crew of the Discovery is in reveal who people are, good or bad. And at least in Star Trek, we can watch it bring out the best in our crew as they sort of rise up against a threat and save the day. And I, I kind of wish we had that now. Our forays into the mirror universe tell us that there's always a way back home. And I can only hope that that translates on some level into, into modern day. All right. You, uh, you're still doing pretty good. I'll give you that. Nicely done, oh, sir. I, I appreciate you're it. All, yeah. <laughs> all great opinions. I loved all of them. Thank you so much. Um, it's now time for some Starfleet commendations. This is always a fun part of our show here on Discovering Trek. What we'd like to do is, is have everybody uh, list one, two, or three, three at the most, uh, things that you really want to call out in the episode that you loved. Um, could be characters, performances, scenes, anything that you want. Really brief call-outs, and we will start with Mr. Humanitarian himself, Mr. Bill Smith. What do you think, man? Well, I have a, I have one Starfleet commendation this week, and I have to say it, it's Wilson Cruz. You know, man, I, I love this actor, and I, I adore this character. I just, I just want to give him a hug, especially after this week, because I, I miss Culber already. You know, Aaron Harbert said on After Trek that, you know, Tyler snapped Culber's neck because Culber was the smartest guy in the room, and he, he truly was. Um, it was one of those doctors that you could see being added to the pantheon of great Starfleet doctors. But you know, we're told it's not the last we'll see of Culber, and I truly hope it's not. I mean, I want there to be more, but I'm I'm really afraid, like we talked about earlier. So that's uh, that's my commendation. 
Yeah, I'm I'm afraid to, but I'm 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 hoping positive. Um so we'll see. Amy, Starfleet accommodations for this episode or was it a big fat whopper zero? Oh no, I would have to give Tilly <laughs> I'd have to give Tilly the all the props for this episode because she said she was going to cut out a guy's tongue and use it to lick her boot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she just like she didn't have to have these hilarious, you know, uh brutal analogies. She, but she did and it was it was really good i think she got into her role in an excellent way and i also wanted to kind of call out um stamets and anthony rap because i while he didn't probably like having to lay in the bed and do not a lot for this episode he still managed to do a lot with his very few lines especially when he was like right. Don't go to the palace. And I was like, oh God, what palace? <laughs> and also when he said that the enemy was there, you know, and and he 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 and and Culber are so cute and I love them. So I'm really hoping that, you know, I don't think it's the last we'll see of Culber, but I think Anthony Rapp, he does a great job every time. But to be able to work with so little and to have to lay there and probably wear those uncomfortable contact lenses, you know, I think that he, I think that he, uh, I like that. That was a cool little moment where his eyes cleared and mm-hmm. he spoke to Culver and then it, they went like blurry again. And I, I thought that that was a cool effect and it kind of let us see how he's mostly just kind of lost in his mind, like hopping around in all the timelines. Right. Well, I have, I have three brief uh, things I like to run through really quickly. Um, and the first one, of course, is Mary Wiseman, Mary Wiseman, Mary Wiseman. <laughs> you know, I-, I tweeted last night right after the show ended that Tilly is now my favorite person in the whole universe or any universe. Wow. Her portrayal of Tilly continues to expand in just leaps and bounds from her nervous, hysterical discussion over audio channels to her amazing transformation to Captain Tilly on the ISS Discovery. This actress is bringing an element to Star Trek Star Trek that I love to absolutely no end. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Shazad Latif. Uh, I'll be honest, like I said earlier, I'm not a fan of the whole Tyler's Vogue storyline, which appears to be the case. Um, I just don't like it, but that's okay. I appreciate those who do like what appears is going to be going on with this character. But with that being said, he once again did just an amazing job um, with Tyler Ash last night. His intensity is off the charts and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when Michael realizes what's going on and the deception that is Tyler Volk. So we'll see what happens there. And the last shout out that I want to give to is to Sean Cochran and the discovery staff. Uh, I read online today that this was Sean's first script. And he started off with a doozy. Um, I believe that he cemented himself in Star Trek history forever with the story. And I can't wait to see how it develops and finishes up in the remaining episode or episodes that we see in the mirror universe. And I got to say to the team that transformed the discovery into the ISS discovery on camera with all the different changes, especially erasing the U and adding the I on the hull of the discovery was just such awesomeness that I, I can't even. I'll just leave it, it at that. It was really cool. Um, it was really neat. It was it was great. It, it it reminded me of the scene in Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad when we saw Lorca being killed over and over and over again. That kind of flashing around <laughs> to different things on the ship, I just thought was great. So those are my commendations. And Terry, 
We're saving the best for last. What have you got oh for your my accommodations? <laughs> I I have three accommodations nice. and one I'm and and two of them actually. Well, I guess I could say three. I I was gonna do four, but you guys covered Mary Wiseman, so I don't have to go there because you said everything I would have. Okay. Uh, the Ash versus Volk care. Uh, 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 character line. While I do kind of have a problem with it, I can't throw that stone very far because I'm a huge fan of the Star Trek Vanguard series. And what's going on with the Voke character is very similar to something that happened in those novels that I love so very much. So if you are uh, at all interested, I highly recommend to our, your listeners to do yourself a favor and pick up the Star Trek Vanguard series of books mm-hmm. um, if you want to be inspired by what Ash might be going through. Uh, my second commendation is actually going to be, while I hate the MU or I hate the mirror universe with a passion, I have to say it could have been worse. Huh. And that is by saying, if the writers really wanted to drive me to insanity, they could have made it about section 31. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like section 31, so I'm not going to say anything either. <laughs> there's only one thing in my mind that's worse than the mirror universe and it's section 31 that's awesome okay (laughs) (laughs) and then my third and most important i actually want to say is is important for me as a storyteller myself and that is um in television one of the hardest things to do is provide exposition without boring uh, your your viewer or without making your characters look ridiculous. And one of the tropes and one of the things that Star Trek has always done, and for the most part, pretty done, done pretty well, is to carry your story through on a technology line by creating techno babble. Mm. I want to hand a big, big thumbs up to the visual effects crew on this on this particular episode. And the reason why is because their artistic vision gave the script writers the ability to carry through the exposition on the science behind the algorithms on this, um, the Klingon cloaking device and, and their problem with such beautiful, with such beautiful visuals that you didn't care what they were saying. And you kind of understood what it was by how that ship and those graphics on the front uh, of the, the bridge looked. And I found that to be such a unique and wonderful tool that no previous Star Trek has ever really had uh, with the with the depth that they've had with the three dimensional uh, views of how uh, uh, the the ship is supposed to be surrounded by its gravitational metrics. It was a perfect perfect exposition without having to pull the old Harry Potter trick, and that's let's go off to the forest and tell you what's going on, and then when we come out, we know what's going to happen. Excellent commendations from everyone. I love it. One thing we didn't talk about is the Defiant. I got to throw a Defiant oh, yeah. thumbs up in there as well. We need yes. we need to talk about yes. this. Yes, and here's my opinion. I'll give my opinion first because I'm the host, so I get to. Um, I, I love the fact that they bring the Defiant in after what happened in Tholian Web and then in A Mirror Darkly. I think it's brilliant tie-in to both of those series a lot of people online today have been really having a problem with the way the defiant looks and all i have to say is the defiant has been in the mirror universe for a hundred years everybody gets upgrades over a hundred years so i hope we see it i really want to see it as we go along amy terry let's go with terry first because she just ended with commendations well i i'm not exactly sure i understand where you're coming from with the whole defiant's been in the mirror universe for a hundred years 
Oh, have you watched all of Enterprise? Oh, hon, I have. And you have to remember, I was written in one of the novels as being the second or third in command of the Defiant. So I know the Defiant. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And my... And my understanding was is that of course it got pushed back and and it in in the term of enterprise, but enterprise didn't occur a hundred years beforehand, did it? It occurred a hundred years about a hundred years before discovery. Yeah, yep. It's right around yeah. a century mark. It might be ninety something years, but yeah. Okay, that's what I was asking about because okay. I wasn't really sure. I really don't think that the uh, the object here was to um, make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, as to the look of the Defiant, I think it's absolutely intentional. And I believe in my heart of hearts, the reason why is because the mirror universe that we have entered into in this episode is not the mirror universe you know and love. It's a different alternate universe. That's I got goosebumps. <laughs> Long range scan of planet complete. You know, speaking of the Defiant, you know, we got things we can look forward to. Uh, This is our chance now to look into the orb of time and give us your thoughts on what you think is going to happen either next week on Discovery or maybe a little bit further down the line as season one wraps up. So for me, I think that this mysterious, savage emperor is going to be Philippa Giorgio. Me too. Because they they didn't say anything they said nothing about this it's secret nothing and we haven't seen her we've seen a lot of other people that were on on board her ship um i think she's going to be a direct descendant of empress sato from enterprise's mirror universe as well it'll be interesting to see if that happens and to make things even worse i think michael is going to have to kill her and is going to struggle with it because of her feelings of what happened with her captain georgiou so you know we saw her struggle with seeing connor uh, in this episode this week. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when she sees her former captain's doppelganger and the brutality that she has in this universe. So that's my thoughts. I'm 0 for 9 so far, so I'm hoping I can at least get one base hit. Bill, you're right there with me. So what do you think? I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to agree with Amy. You totally stole my thunder, and uh, that is actually the exact same prediction that I had, I can only hope that one of the, one of us is going to get this right, and it's going to improve. <laughs> it's going to improve our average because a rising tide floats all boats. That that's the theory I'm going to apply. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, Terry, are you on the same boat? All right. Actually, okay. Here's here's my here's here's where Bill was holding his thumb out in the middle. This is kind of my middle ground. I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that the writers don't go in the direction of making it Georgiou and therefore the tired old trope of having to kill your former, your, your father figure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doing the star Wars thing of having to kill your father figure and overcoming those things to make you the hero. What I'm hoping for on the outside. Now, mind you, I am a betting woman and I realize it is a long, long, long shot, but I'm wondering whether or not the emperor is Culber. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh my Oh, I'm blown. Oh, my God. I never even thought of that. Wow. <laughs> the Emperor could even be somebody crazy like, uh, I was going to say Dwight Schrute. But, but it's, oh my it could God. be like someone, it could be like, um, you know, Mud, which would be hilarious. Wouldn't wow. it be a Mud, mud as Emperor? Dwight, Dwight Schrute. I think Dwight Schrute as Emperor would be even better. I want to be Emperor. I'm, I'm, I would actually... I would actually start watching again. I think if that. <laughs> so are you totally out? Are you totally out? I'm interested. 
I, I think, I think I'm going to, I have to give you both a little, everybody, I have to give you a little bit, bit of background. I did not watch the final episode of the season ending finale until yesterday. Oh. I managed oh, okay. to watch. Okay. So I, that's the way I tend to watch TV. I, if I watch an episode and, and I can go for a long time without knowing, and luckily, and I'm not a real big, you know, person, I'm not bothered by spoilers. Oddly enough, I was able to get through what two months without being spoiled at all. Um, and so I watched the episodes back to back yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I kind of at the end of my rage yesterday and having 24 hours to get over it, um, I think what I'm going to end up doing is probably thinking that, you know, what might be best for me as a viewer in my viewing habits is to wait and to binge at the end. And only because I don't know if I could go through such rage just to have the writers turn around and turn everything upside down on me just so they can play with my heart. I don't take kindly to that. When if I can watch them all in one day and get over with it, then I might find myself back in love with the show. Interesting. Well, my prediction. So my prediction I do think it's going to be Giorgio. I don't think they're going to, I think that because um, she's such a great actress and she was so well received by the fans that they're going to want to use her again. And she's already familiar with how they do things and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, like you said, we didn't hear where they were, but we didn't hear where a lot of people were. So I mean, you know, we, we don't know if there's an alternate Sam. It's, I mean, I'm guessing there is, I'm guessing there's an alternate Saru. He might not even be part of, uh, Starfleet, though, he might be back on his home planet being prey. Um, but I think that in addition to, I do think Lork is from that universe. I think we're going to find out that he, uh, it was, remember they said that his whole ship got killed? Yes. Yeah, right. I was thinking that, yeah, right. I was thinking that uh, that he was the one who caused that. There might be some connection to what happened there. And that's maybe where the original Lorca got killed. And then this one took his place. Well, we're going to find out soon enough. And uh, I, I know I'm looking forward to it because I just love the Mary universe. So we shall see. Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring the entire season of Discovering Trek. We absolutely love their product and we love what they're doing for Star Trek fans. Yeah, Bill, we sure do. One of the things that we love is the new episode pin collection for season one of Discovery. We want everyone to head on over to episodepins.com and check out all the details of how you can have your own unique set of pins for each episode of season one. Now, I could tell you all about it right here, but why spoil the surprise? So go on over to that site. Right you are, Dan. And besides, we want to talk about giveaways because, I mean, that's what we tend to do on this show. So between now and next Monday, January 15th, we want you to tag Discovering Trek on Twitter and tell us what you thought of episode 10. Use the hashtag hold your horses. (laughs) (laughs) And you may win the... Thank you. You may win the entire set of Klingon Discovery pins. Now, this includes Takuvma, Laurel, Voke, Cole, Team Cole for Life, baby, and... The Klingon sarcophagus ship pre-destruction, of course. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Post-destruction would be a little hard. A little bit. (laughs) Little pieces everywhere. You know, we're going to continue to have special promotions and giveaways every week for the remainder of the season. So keep listening. And as always, we thank Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. 
So, my friends, uh, as we can see, we had a lot of differing opinions on what we saw with Episode 10, Despite Yourself. But one thing is certain, we will be seeing more of the Mirror Universe for at least one more episode. And, Bill, I think next week we're going to be welcoming an old friend of the show to talk about it. Yeah, the best thing about doing a show like this one is we have lots of friends that want to come talk Star Trek with us, and we absolutely love it. Next time on Discovering Trek, Dan, we're going to examine the 11th episode of Star Trek Discovery, The Wolf Inside. And joining us in the discussion will be our friend Amy Nelson from Trek FM's Earl Grey and The Edge. In the meantime, we've made it really easy for you to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and also Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. Plus, you can even stream our podcasts directly using Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. It's your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way, so join the pod fleet and make it so, Dan. I love it. Podfleet.com. That's great stuff. So, ladies, uh, Amy and Terry, we cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on board here today to talk about uh, this uh kick off to chapter two of season one of star trek discovery i'd like to get some information from you guys if you could share with everyone uh, where folks can find you on social media amy let's start with you and then terry why don't you tell everybody after amy's done where we can get you online you can find me at lightstar1013 and i apologize to all my Trek people because right now it's a lot of x files <laughs> as the show has returned and I'm officially a recapper for the show. But um, I'm also on Instagram at lightstar1013 and I am on Legion of Leia writing for them. And I just had two articles on the Mary Sue last week. And since it's the Star Trek podcast, I'd like to pimp the fact that I am part of the Outside In Makes It So book where 174 different authors took on 174 different episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. And we each wrote our thoughts about it. And my episode was Schisms. <gasps> so you can find that at atbpublishing.com. Awesome. The, cl the clicky episode. <laughs> yes, that's a clicky episode. I, that episode has scared me since I was a kid, but it was really fun to write about it. I'm 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 totally going to head over there because it's one of my favorite episodes. I, lo I love it so much. Well, um, again, you can follow me. I'm Terry Lynn Schull. Um, I you can follow me on Twitter at Terry Lynn S. That's T E R I L Y N N S. Uh, that is kind of it for now. You can, uh, if you want, uh, hit me up on Facebook on Terry Lynn Schull. And uh, there are things brewing, gentlemen. Ooh. Things are brewing. Uh, yeah, we're 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 me and uh, my fellow haunt, you know, Alan, my husband. Uh, we're brewing up a new idea for a new podcast, not necessarily Trek related, but we'll let you know as soon as we make our formal announcement. Awesome, sounds fantastic. Looking forward to hearing about it. Well, folks, that's it for episode ten. It doesn't matter what universe you're from. We are truly honored that you joined us for our discussion. Bill and I look forward to sharing our thoughts on episode 11 next week. But until then, here's some words of wisdom from Mr. Spock in the TOS episode, Mirror Mirror. It is far easier for civilized men to behave like barbarians than it is for barbarians to behave like civilized men. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. 
Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.